Grab your Bible and you can turn to Proverbs 20. Uh, I don't know. I fear sometimes, I hope you aren't getting tired of the Psalm or the Proverbs. Did I say Psalm chapter 20? If I did, I meant Proverbs chapter 20. Uh, I hope you're not getting tired of the Proverbs. Sometimes when you keep going over it, it seems like you've done it already. And in a way, that's sort of true because there's a lot of the same things that Solomon was dealing with. And yet, um, these short little pithy sayings are for us to remember, to be able to remember. And I want you to remember that these aren't necessarily guarantees, that God's guaranteeing you something with these, but they're general principles of life that generally, if you follow, uh, uh, these are good things and good things to do. And I always love when I have to start out with drinking and alcohol because I always get in trouble about it. And uh, people, are, I don't know why this is, to be quite frank with you. I, I was telling my wife um, the other day, I can't believe in 2023 that a pastor who stands up in front of the pulpit and warns people about alcohol is controversial. I, I just, I just can't believe it. Okay. And you're not talking to some guy who grew up as a prude and didn't do anything. I was the biggest partier there was. I was the one who planned the parties. I was the one who made the parties. And uh, so I know. And I've been through it and had experience. And I can tell you from, uh, <laughs> from experience, when it says wine is a mocker, boy, is that so true. And strong drink is a brawler. Come on, folks. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. What this one is saying, Solomon, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that wine mocks you. What's interesting about alcohol is that it brings your defenses down or let you, you let your guard down when you have uh, drank too much wine or alcohol. And what happens is you think you're being cool or suave or funny, and really you're mocking, you're being mocked. And it's so true. Uh, if you've lived in that culture, uh, you know you can hardly believe some of the things that you did while you were under the influence of alcohol. Now, the Bible talks in some places that People used alcohol for medicine and uh, that a little wine makes the heart merry and stuff like that. But most of the places in the Bible warns you and warns me as believers in Christ, followers of Christ, spirit-filled people, not to be filled with wine, but be filled with the spirit, to be under the influence of nothing other than the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And I always say this, and this is where I sort of get in trouble. I understand that people can say they can have one or two drinks and it's no big deal. But let me tell you something. I have had in my life a big tolerance for drinking. I could drink a lot. And I can tell you after one or two drinks, I felt buzzed. So you take that for whatever it's worth. You say, well, Jesus, he, you know, he was at a wedding and he created wine. He sure did, but he also said... I'm not going to drink again until the kingdom. <laughs> so what I'm saying is be very careful. In fact, 
Look over in chapter 23, and Solomon goes deeper here. Oh, by the way, in the New Testament, the Bible says, the leaders of the church should not be given to wine. I mean, you you look throughout the country and you see leaders of the church bragging about it now. It's almost too hard to believe to me. I mean, what would you think if somebody called me and they were in the hospital? Maybe you called me and you wanted me to come and visit your mom or your dad in the hospital and I smelled of alcohol. How would you feel if I did that? Or what if I was too bad to drive or something? It would just be a really bad thing. And so the Bible warns the leaders of the church not given to drink. Um, Look at this in chapter 23, verse 29. Who here, folks, wants to be uh, woeful (laughs) or have woes? or be sorrowful, or have contentions, or be complaints, or wounds without a cause, and redness of eyes. Look at this. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent. (laughs) What a way to say it. You're going along, everything's fine, you're just doing it in moderation, and I'm just going to tell you the truth. I don't do it in moderation. If I drink that much, I drink 14. And so this hits home. When it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around, in the end, it bites like a serpent. So true. Stings like a viper. Uh Uh-huh. And your eyes are going to see strange things. You're not kidding. And your heart will utter perverse things. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And the Bible tells us in the book of James that the wisdom of man is sensual and demonic. And the wisdom of man, I mean, I can remember when I was in that culture getting up the next morning and talking about all the things that happened and laughing and having fun and joking about it and all the exploits and all these sorts of things. I mean, our hearts were uttering perverse things. That's what alcohol does when it's taken to extremes. So the Bible goes to great lengths to warn us. Yeah, you'll be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mast. Isn't that crazy? You ever seen, you know, top of the mast swinging up there? They have struck me, but I wasn't hurt. They have beaten me, but I didn't feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? Whoa, that is foreboding. That's ominous there. And so I would caution us, and I think the Word of God cautions us. There's not much good that comes from it. You say, well, okay, but that's not me. And I'm saying, okay, but... Be warned. I never thought through eight chapters of the book of Genesis, if I didn't know the story myself, that Noah, come on, this man Noah, 
There's no way. He walked with God. He's had grace in the eyes of God. He was one who listened to God and obeyed God and lived long for God and was consistently a follower of of God. And you know the story in chapter 9. He grew a vineyard, which meant it took a while, and he did it on purpose, and he got drunk. Something bad happened with his his son, and there was a curse in the middle of his family. And man, oh man, the things that showed up in him showed up in his son. So be careful. You might be ones to say, well, that's not going to happen to me. I'm very moderate. I've been walking with the Lord a long time. Okay, but... The Bible keeps warning us. And if we want to be wise, we'll heed those warnings. And if you're mad about what I'm talking about tonight, don't go out of here in a huff. Come talk to me about it. But don't go out of here in a huff. I think the Lord really wants to warn us about this. It's everywhere in the Bible. Well, how about this? It goes on in verse 2 that the wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. Look over in 19, verse 12, chapter 19, verse 12. The king's wrath is like the roaring of the lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. And here he picks up that theme again. The wrath of a king is like the roaring of the lion, and whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. You know what's really fascinating about Solomon? I think it's in 1 Kings 10, but if it's not, I know it's in 1 Kings. (laughs) When God was telling him how to build uh, uh, some of the things that he was going to build, one of the things that he asked him to build was his throne, Solomon's throne. And, And it had six steps going up to the throne, and beside the throne were two lions, and on every step on both sides... There were six lions, so 12 lions, so 14 lions. And it was representative. I mean, it was pointing to, right? Obviously, Solomon was a man-made king. Not really. I mean, he was put there. But, but Jesus is the eternal king. And he's from the tribe of Judah and called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And you know the story. I think I've said it here before. If you've read the... Um, Chronicles of Narnia books, (laughs) you know, there's this interaction between the kids and Aslan, and which, uh, you know, I mean, I'm I'm going blank here for a minute. I bet you Kelly would know, but uh, she listens to them on tape. But, you know, they basically, uh, he refers to the fact that he wants them to come to him, but that, you know, they ought to be careful because he's good and I don't know the word he used, but it's something like terrible, but not terrible in the sense that we would think of, but terrible in the sense that he's, do you know it? Not tamed. Okay, so not tamed, but um, he's wild and um, he's someone to be feared and respected and awed instead of being like homies with Jesus or the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the wrath of a king is like the roaring of a lion. And an earthly king is like that. I mean, they have this awesome power, or earthly king, or the earthly kings of the Bible, to judge. 
And those in great power and leadership have the potential for a, you know, a, a, for, uh, you know, a great exercise of this wrath and this judgment. And what's great about our Lord, the real line of the tribe of Judah, look, is he took on the wrath of God for us. You get that, right? So that God's wrath against us when we're found in Christ has been atoned for. And he's released for mercy and grace towards us. Isn't that amazing? And such a beautiful thing. Nevertheless, Jesus is coming back like a roaring lion to judge all the things that were not right or unjust and to judge those who haven't or aren't found in Christ. So this um, uh, proverb or this verse, you know, is very sobering. Whoever provokes him to anger sins against his own life. In one sense, that's true because you and I and we need the blood of Jesus. It's powerful. How about this? It's honorable for a man to stop striving since any fool can start a quarrel. Since any fool can start a quarrel. Isn't that interesting that we as people out in the culture, as we're living life, now I want you to think about this in the current environment. Be honest. What Solomon says here is it's honorable and You're a godly, honorable person to stop striving to promote peace and reconciliation. How about that? And not to quarrel. And this doesn't even tell us if we're right or if we're wrong in the debate. You say, well, can't I stand for righteousness? Of course you can stand for righteousness. And yet... Here, Solomon is saying it's honorable for people to just stop and to promote peace and to swallow it. And maybe you might even be right with people. But sometimes it's okay just to wait on the Lord and let them say their peace. Of course, you're going to keep loving them and you're going to keep praying for them and you're going to keep sharing with them. But As much as it's up to us, the Bible says in the New Testament, do you know this? As much as it's up to you, I wish we took this into account. Live in peace with all men. All men. All men. Not just Christians. It says all men. As much as it's up to you. Now, does that mean you have to uh, denounce your Christianity? No. Just read about the early church when the uh, Romans would ask them to hail Caesar and uh, praise Caesar and commit and say that Caesar is Lord. And uh, they didn't get on Facebook and call Rome, you know, idiots and blah, blah, blah. They just said, no, we're not doing it. We couldn't do that. And they shared with it. And they went uh, oftentimes gladly uh, to the stake or to the fire. I mean, it's honorable for a person to stop striving, to quit quarreling, To let someone win the argument. How about that? Well, that's very convicting to me. Maybe not to any of you, but boy, is that convicting. And here you go. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. What do you generally associate with winter? Don't you associate cold 
Yeah, cold, rainy, and that season would, or that area would be rainy and cold, and the lazy man won't plow because of winter. He'll beg during harvest and have nothing. And on its surface, we, we get what this says. If you aren't going to uh, do your work, even in the tough times, even in the weather times, even in the times that aren't, you know, perfect weather conditions or perfect conditions, you know, in the coming months, you're going to starve because you're not going to have any income, anything coming in, right? But in another sense, look at this. What happens when you're in the winter of your soul? And you feel cold, and it's dark, and it's rainy and dreary. Anybody ever been there in your Christian life? <laughs> Me only. Okay. <laughs> Good, I've been there. And the lazy man won't plow. Listen to what it's telling us. It's saying keep plowing because of it's uh, even if it's winter. What? Well, how do you plow in the, in the Christian life? What do you do in plowing? Well, I think it's this these things. Keep searching the scriptures. I think it's that. Force yourself to do it. Keep searching the scriptures. Have times of praise, personal and corporate. Uh, have times of prayer, both personal and corporate. Find some people uh, uh, that you can serve. And I think that's a big one. Plowing in times when you feel dreary or in a season of the winter time, a winter of the soul, I think one of the big things is to serve other people. Because what happens to us in this culture? In this culture, what happens to us is our time gets squeezed. We have mortgages to pay and rents due and bills. And all of a sudden, what we do is, instead of growing our uh, uh, spiritual life, we start to grow our material life more and more. And what happens is, none of it's bad in and of itself, but it starts to edge out lots of the things that we're to do as Christians. And one of the great things that goes out the window is serving other people. Why? Because serving other people takes time. It's a sacrifice of time a lot. And what happens to us is we squeeze out our uh, extra time and then the, one of the first things we give up is serving. And I believe that's one of the great reasons that a lot of us are in a cold winter season or a dreary season, or a rainy season. Because what Americans do is consume constantly. And it, that includes even Christianity. So find somebody or somewhere to serve. The lazy man won't plow because of winter. He'll beg during harvest and have nothing. And that's interesting because haven't you ever said, how does that person stay so zealous for the Lord and I don't? Well, maybe it's because we're not plowing because of winter. We feel dreary, so we don't do it. So you, you know what? Grab somebody. Have them be, help you be accountable in those areas if you're uh, one like that. I even think this is another thing, or I, I think about this in another way. You ever met somebody at work who's real cold to you? Or uh, maybe somebody at the PTA meeting or at the sports game or somebody in church, cold. You're like trying to get to know them. Snip, you know, here's what we do. We just leave. Ah, heck with them. I'm giving up on that person. I think this speaks to us about continuing to plow in a good way. Encourage that person. Love that person. Send that person a text, even if they rebuff you. Chip away. 
at the cold so that there's a great harvest. Or uh, maybe uh, there's a person at work who's a non-believer who is just cold to the things of the Lord. Right? And I think if we just keep at it and plowing and working and praying and loving, eventually the Lord's going to do His work. So that's a great proverb for me. And how about this one? Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. I love this one. Maybe I say that about a lot, but I really love this one because counsel in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. And that's what good counselors do. Good counselors, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a counselor. There's one in here, and maybe that person will disagree with me, but I think what a good counselor does is get you to think about what's going on in your own life, drawing out what's in there. And also, not only just drawing out, of course, the things that are harmful or traumatic, of course, what's going on in your own life, but also drawing out your gifts, you see, and drawing out what you can do and how you can operate and live and navigate the Christian life. I think that's what a good counselor does. I also think that the Bible here says that men and women of understanding draw these things out of men or women and don't give up on them. You get what I'm saying? And you know this because you love the person who's the best at it. And that's Jesus. And we know this, that he's called, you love it every Christmas. You love to sing it and say it. He's called Wonderful Counselor. That's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And one of the great places, isn't it? One of the great places that you see him drawing it out of a person. You know, if you read the Gospels just for this, do this one time. Read a Gospel and see how many times Jesus asks questions. Jesus doesn't always give the answer. He asks questions so people will learn and discover for themselves. You get that? And I think that's part of the verses in the Old Testament that speak of working out our own salvation with trembling and fear, right? Or fear and trembling, sorry. Because here's why. It's great if your parents or your grandma or your friend or your wife is a Christian, but what about you? What about me? As I'm growing with the Lord myself, I'm not to be on the coattails of my relative or my friend, but you know where Jesus did such an amazing job of this proverb because you love the story and so do I in John chapter 4 when he meets a Samaritan woman. And listen, a woman of Samaria came to draw water, verse 7 of chapter 4 of John, and Jesus said, give me a drink. (laughs) I mean, it's not hard. I'm going to get in trouble for saying this if our friend who's coming to do the evangelism class is going to listen to this. But you know what evangelism is to me? It's learning about other people's stories. And I know we have the agenda of sharing the gospel, but first it's learning their story, taking interest in other people. I think that's the first step to evangelism is taking interest in other people. And Jesus does it in this story And he's like, hey, let's have a drink of water together. I mean, what's better than that? I mean, drink is highly esteemed in this area of the world. 
And she's going to get him a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is that? I mean, she's got questions. All he does is sit down and says, could I have a drink, please? And she gets him a drink. And then all of a sudden, look, spiritual things start pouring out. You say, well, he's Jesus. I know. But if you start taking interests in people and you learn about them, listen, and they learn about you, they're going to hear you talk about prayer and blessing and praise and worship and church. And guess what they're going to do? I guarantee it. 100% guarantee. They're going to start asking you spiritual questions just like this woman. How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan, for Jews have no dealings? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, there he is. Jesus is evangelizing. Of course, it's Jesus. But look, he starts to speak of the spiritual things. There's the end to the spiritual. If you knew the gift of God, he's drawing it out of her. Give me a drink. Uh, who it is who says to you, give me a drink. I mean, listen, he doesn't give her the answer right here. If, if, if you knew the gift of God and who it is says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Listen, can you imagine now she's on the edge of her seat? She lives in the Middle East. She's the one that's going to the well and doing things like that. And she's like, living water? What's living water? Wouldn't that be a natural question she might ask? It's unbelievable. He's drawing it out of her. It's an amazing story. And I want you to see something here. I think he genuinely wants to know who this person is. You say, well, why, why do you say that? Why does that matter to you? Because I get a feeling sometimes in evangelism, not my friend who's coming to give this class. But I have a, a feeling in evangelism a lot of times, people are like with their notebook. Okay, I talked to four people today. One of them said they might consider, boom. And I would say, get rid of that. Take, a, take interest in the person who you're talking with. Listen to them. And don't just give them all the answers. Draw it out of them. I think that's what Jesus did in an amazing way. He always had a pivot. He always spoke of the blessing. And he keeps going on, and you know it. And he keeps answering her questions and answering her questions. And he talks about where you can worship. And she goes on and just is blown away by this guy who is inviting her to a conversation. I don't know. When I read that proverb, that's what I think of. That counsel in the heart of man is like deep water. Jesus knew there was something deep in there. Now think about who this woman is. Most, you know, a lot of people in the, like, you know, the sin sniffers of the church. How could you talk to her? All these guys. Illicit relationships. What are you doing, Jesus? Come over here where we're perfect. Sit with us. Don't talk to her. He says, I, I see something deep in her. She can follow me. And have we can have a relationship and her life would go from being a wreck, so to speak, to being something beautiful. And I see that and I want to draw it out of her. And that's his heart. So when I read this, counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. I think of Jesus, how perfect he is. And I think, wow, Lord, help me to be one who would take interest in people for, for the, the dignity that they deserve, not just because they're a notch in my belt in evangelism. Because I care for them because you do. 
How about this? It goes right into the next proverb. <laughs> Most men will proclaim each his own goodness. And I think if you couple it with the prior proverbs, you don't have to talk about yourself all the time, people. It's good. You need to talk about yourself sometimes. You need to tell people how you're feeling. If you're not feeling great, you should say it. If you need prayer, you should say it. If you're down, you should say it. But that's not what I'm talking about. You ever met somebody and you can't get a word in it edgewise and every sentence starts with I, me, how am I? And after a while, it, I mean, come on. It's like, could you come up for air? I mean, what is going on here? Most men or women proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? A man full of faith, a woman full of faith, one who trusts. I don't have to get the approval of man and talking about myself all the time. I trust that God approves of me, and that makes me a faithful man or a woman. I don't have to self-advertise. The Lord knows. He knows me. He heals me. He loves me. The righteous man walks in his integrity. What is integrity? Well, some people have said this, which I find interesting. Integrity and character are who you are when you're alone. Isn't that interesting? What are you really all about when, you're, when you have time to think about something? What are you thinking about? Who are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? What do you like when you're alone? What do you do when nobody sees? That's what a lot of people say integrity is. Doing the godly thing, even if nobody ever knows. Just you and the Lord, that's who will know. Now that's interesting if that's true. Because the next verse says, His children are blessed after Him. So, the righteous man walks in his integrity. And I want you to see something here. It's a walk of integrity. It's not a sprint. It's a little by little, not a sprint out, like I told you about my 440. It's a, it's a marathon of life. And a man or a woman walks in integrity. It's who that person is when they're by themselves, when they're alone. And you're going to leave your family something by your life. Do you get that? You're going to leave your family something when you leave this earth, unless the Lord comes back first. And what do you want to leave, to leave them? You want to leave them a legacy of integrity and character and love for the Lord. Like, you know, what was the, the um, driving passion of your life? Was it love? Was it following the Lord? Was it praising Him? Was it making money? Was it having cars? Was it having homes? What are the kids going to think when they think about you? What is your family going to think when you think about you? Here's another thing. When you're on your deathbed and you know you're going to go to be with the Lord, if you've lived that life, listen to this, you're at peace because it's passing on to your kids. How cool is that? You're at peace. You know you're going to go be with the Lord. You're going to love it and He's going to love you. And you're at peace because you know you've uh, passed that on to the Lord or passed that on to your kids. And your family. Isn't that a peaceful thought? I think it is. Not morbid, is it? <laughs> no, it's a peaceful thought. Because what would happen if you're on your deathbed and you're going, oh, the regrets and the things. And you say, well, I have regrets now. Well, it's not too late because you're sitting here. 
So go around and ask for your forgiveness and live in integrity and tell your kids how you've messed up, but you, you want to depend upon the Lord or your friends or whoever so that you'd leave a legacy of blessing. Amazing, right? How about this? A king who sits on the throne of ju- judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. Now, the word scatter here is a word that's used with a threshing floor. Who here knows what a threshing floor is? Well, it was the... (laughs) Who here knows what a threshing floor is? Well, most of you know. But here, I'll tell you. There was like a pad that they made out in the field. You know this. Like It wasn't concrete, but you know it was a stamped out pad, a hard pad. And they would bring the wheat over there and they would... This was the place that they were going to separate the good parts of the wheat from the bad parts of the wheat, the wheat from the chaff. And you know that, right? And But before they would throw the wheat up in the air where the wind would take away the bad stuff and leave the good stuff, they'd have to beat it with something. And oftentimes they'd beat it with these things called uh, threshing wheels, okay? And this word here, scatters, is uh, evoking... It's a a word used for being in that process. So a king who sits on the throne of judgment scatters all evil with his eyes. It's like that threshing floor, getting rid of the unworthy, yucky stuff and uh, keeping the useful stuff. Isn't that amazing? And so uh, our king can do that. A good king does that. Our king certainly uh, does it and will do it. And who can say, I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. Isn't that a weird thing to be in the proverb? Because here's why. There are some people who walk around and say, I mean, there's even some uh, theologies that run around here that says you could live a sinful or a sinless life. I don't know about that one. I mean, you look at the Bible and you see lots of people who struggled with lots of things including the Apostle Paul, who continued to say all the way up to his death, why in the world would I do the things I don't want to do? And the things that I don't want to do, I do. Paul, can you imagine Paul saying that? And he did say that. And again, lots of the Old Testament folks you see. Because the Bible tells us in the New Testament, if we confess our sins... God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us all in righteousness. But it also says, those who say they're without sin is a liar. You're fooling yourself. Don't fool yourself. Uh, Take heed and stand lest you fall, the Bible says. Destruction, you know. Uh, Pride comes before destruction. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. I just quoted that, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. The Bible calls us to be sober and vigilant because the enemy of our souls is crouching, standing at our door, looking at us. He's trying to get your little stronghold. Do you ever, who here is rock climb down at REI or something like that? Man, okay, come on, folks. You got to get out more. You ever done that? It's so weird. You know, you look and you see the person go up and you're like, that's so easy. I'm going to go right up there. And then you get on that wall and you get about, you know, me, about this far off the ground and you're like scared already. And then you just have to, you can't find that 
little thing and your fingers aren't strong enough and your shoes are too big or whatever, your toe hurts. But here's what's wild. <clears throat> when you find the perfect place, it's like, ah, oh, relief. And you get a hold of that thing and you know you're going to be able to pull yourself up. And that's the thing that you don't want to expose to the enemy so he can climb over your wall. You get it? Don't let that happen. What is your thing that you know is a trigger? Well, flee from those things. Don't lie to yourself and say, I'm totally free from that. Well, I'm glad you are, but be careful. Who can say I've made my heart clean? I'm pure for my sin. We can't say any of that. No man can say that. That's why we need Jesus, because he cleans our heart. How about this? Diverse weights and diverse measures. You know this, right? I, I've been forgetting to tell you this. You know, in dishonest business back in this, these times, they would want use one weight and measure when they sold something. But when they bought something, they'd use a different weight and measure. And it would always be to their advantage. You get what I'm saying? No. Well, anyway, they were doing that. And it was to their economic advantage. And that's why the Lord here is uh, so totally into this. He actually repeats this three times in this proverb. Chapter 10, chapter 14, or excuse me, uh, verse 10, verse 14, and verse 23. Don't use diverse weights and measures. They're like an abomination to the Lord. In other words, when you go to work out in the economy, you don't take your spiritual life and leave it at home. <laughs> when you're doing trade and commerce, you're a Christian. When you're uh, thinking about romance, you're a Christian. When you go on vacation, you're a Christian, etc., etc. You know what I'm saying. And that's what that's talking about. They're an abomination to the Lord. Don't cheat in life because he never cheated us. Even a child is known by his deeds. What's that? People watch what we do, and even people will watch young kids, and sometimes they can do rough things. Even, um, even when we think kids are cute and all that sort of thing, people watch what we do, even from the time that we're little kids, whether what he does is pure and right. They're looking at behavior. The world looks at your behavior. Do you know that? The world looks at your behavior, at your work. Now think about that. How does that look to you when you examine that? Because people are watching. The hearing ear, verse 12, and the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. Be very observant and out in the world. Solomon was. Be observant of people. Be observant of situations and ask the Lord for wisdom. Don't love sleep lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with bread. Oh, man, and is that a reference to the manna, the bread of life, Jesus? That's where we want to be ultimately satisfied. It's good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he has gone his own way, oh, he boasts about the deal that he got. Isn't that fascinating? He's even talking about negotiating. That's what I do my whole life at work was scared to run across this one. <laughs> That's what I do at work. But here he's saying, don't cheat people. Tell the truth, even when you're negotiating. Wow, what a convicting thing. And there is gold in a multitude of rubies, uh, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Who here would want a big gold diamond? 
Well, some of us would want that. Who here would want a big ruby, a brooch, uh, a big, uh, you know, jewelry set? And you would love it. But he's saying here that the people who speak knowledge and wisdom, people who speak of things of eternal value, are you a person who speaks of things of eternal value out in the culture, out in life? Are you th- or do you speak, uh, you know, of petty things, of little things, of things that don't matter? Even amongst the Christians, are, are you of that? Do you talk of the things of God? Wise people do that and their lips become precious. Now, this is a strange one. Take the garment of one who is surety for a stranger and hold it as a pledge when it is for uh, a seductress. Uh, people should be held uh, to their obligations, I guess, is this proverb. But quite frankly, no one knows what this one means. <laughs> if you search the commentators, that's a tough one. Bread gained by a deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth is, will be filled with gravel. <laughs> and here's another very difficult one, but most people believe, you know, deceit, whatever you're getting by deceit, is going to taste terrible when it's going down. The things you do will haunt you when you do them by deceit or by false gain or false pretenses. And plans are established by counsel, by wise counsel, wage war. By wise counsel, wage war. Plans are established by counsel and by wise wise counsel, wage war. And I got news for you folks. You're not in a war right now, but you're in a spiritual war. Who knows that? Do you know that you're in a spiritual war? And the Bible tells you to arm up every single day. And it's good to have wise counsel to wage this war. And the best counsel is from our counselor, Jesus, uh, via the Holy Spirit, but also to have godly Christians who are in the battle with you to talk with and to share with. And men, quite frankly, you're bad at that, and so am I. We don't want... uh, to be vulnerable and to share with other guys. And we're islands unto ourselves. Ladies are much better at this. And we need to have wise counsel when appropriate. And he who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. Can you believe how many times it tells you not to gossip? It must be because people gossip. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. You expose things that are not supposed to be told when you gossip. Therefore, don't associate one who flatters with his lips. Whoa. Why? (laughs) Well, number one, if somebody is gossiping to you, you mark this down. You ready? Mark this down in your journal or your Bible. Mark it down right now. If you go and listen to the one who's gossiping about somebody, you mark this down. It's coming. They're going to gossip about you. It's coming. You just don't know it yet. Because here, look at the verse. They flatter. A lot of gossipers flatter people because they want to butter them up so they can get in their digs and their tails and the things that they're bearing about other people. It's like it slides through after they butter you up. 
And we've talked about this in several occasions. You start to, when you let somebody talk about another in your presence and it's gossip, that person becomes what you hear to you because you forgot one side of the story and usually it's painted in an awful, terrible light. So it's so dramatic, you're like, oh my gosh, I hate that person already. When you've never even heard the other side or know any of the other story. And what's coming, I guarantee, is the person you're t- talking to is going to talk about you. That's what a talebearer does. Therefore, don't associate with the one who flatters. Whoever curses his father or his mother, woe, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. We're to bless our moms and our dads, our parents. Whoever curses his father and mother, his lamp will be put out in deep darkness. I realize in some cases there has to be a lot of forgiveness extended and given. And yet the Bible says that they brought you into this world. So be careful. What a warning. And then in 21, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. When we get too much too soon, when we're not ready, you know, It's not going to be blessed at the end. I mean, it's tough because the measure in which we give and are generous and all that sort of thing is the way we'll be sort of measured. And a lot of oftentimes when you gain something very early, especially an inheritance or a lot of money or something great, we become hoarders with it. And even we could uh, uh, waste it. And that could be even in our Uh, spiritual life. You know, the Bible says we're in it for the long haul. Again, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. Keep going. Keep walking. Keep loving. Keep praising. Keep serving. Keep studying. Do not say I'll recompense evil. Wow, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. Who here has wanted to get revenge on somebody? Come on, man. Come on. You ever wanted to get revenge? I'm holding up two arms here. Three arms. There you go. <laughs> Who, uh, but you, you say, don't say I'll recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and he will save you. Don't say I will recompense evil. You know this. There's a promise in the Bible that you got to know. You gotta know this promise, and you all do know this. But I wonder how many of us actually believe it and trust it. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do you know that promise? The Lord says that vengeance, justice, wrath belongs to Him, not to you. And what happens is, like when I seek revenge or when you seek revenge, Do you know what that really is? You know what revenge is for the Christian? Revenge for the Christian is a lack of faith. Because the Lord says, I'll take care of it. Here's what you say. Here's what I say. Uh, Lord, win. Because it happened yesterday and I'm running out of patience. Amen? Amen. And what it becomes is it becomes a lack of faith. That's what revenge, those feelings of revenge are. It's fleshly. We could go into many things and many stories in the Old Testament, especially of revenge and how it didn't turn out right. But what does wait for the Lord mean? 
It's sort of like get out of the way so he can work it out. Stop fretting about it so he can, he's going to work it out. Um, and so waiting for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is not passive. It's acting. Active. It's studying the Scriptures. Being present in the Scriptures. Praising the Lord. Serving others. And just doing what God has called you to until at such time as He works it out. Don't say, I'll recompense evil. Wait for the Lord and He'll save you. I would suggest... Ooh, we got to go. I would suggest... Time out. I'm... We have, we're going to get a book here. I, I have it. Uh, but I would suggest you read about the early church fathers. Because the early church fathers, first of all, were living this out. But it wasn't over like, oh, you sat in my pew, you ate my coconut donut, uh, you, 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 uh, you were sarcastic to me, and now I'm going to get you back. I mean... They were dealing with the powers of Rome. And the powers of Rome were killing them. And as they were marching to their death, they were saying things like, not revenge. They were saying things like, I hope I die in a way that will honor and glorify the Lord. I mean, we're kidding ourselves with the things that we think are slights. And he says, wait for the Lord and he'll save you. Again, he talks about diverse weights or diverse weights. And then he says, a man's steps are of the Lord. How then can a man understand his own way? And I just want you to know, <laughs> you know, in the first Samuel chapter nine, you want to just write first Samuel chapter nine, right beside that proverb, go there and read it. It's a little chapter that could have been written in about two sentences. It's a big chapter that could have been written in about two sentences. It's the story of how God took a guy named Saul and matched him up and got him to meet a guy named Samuel. Everybody know those two people? And Saul was about ready to be king, but I want you to see something. Saul's dad lost his donkeys and told Saul to go look for him. And basically, Psalm or 1 Samuel 9 is a story of Saul looking for his dad's donkeys that he could never find. And he met several people along the way in this chapter, and every one of them seems irritating and insignificant. You ever went to look for something and can't find it? You're irritated. You ever had somebody stop you when you're trying to look for something and you can't find it and they want to talk to you? It's like, could we do this tomorrow? And each one of the people had a hand, like a, it was like a chink in the chain. Chink, 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 chink. Got him to, to Samuel. And you look back at that thing and you go, wow, wait a second. I was so mad I couldn't find the donkeys. Those ladies who stopped me on my way and were talking to me while I was trying to find things, I was so irritated by it. And then look, here's what happens. You go, shoot. You look back at it and you go, the hand of God was in every one of those situations. He was just getting me to Samuel. You know what I'm saying? Now look, real quick. A man's steps are of the Lord. 
he, he, he guides your steps. How in the world can you understand totally God's sovereignty and providence when he's doing something in you to get you to a place where he's going to do something great in you and you can't understand it? You ever had those situations? You look back and you go, wow, amazing. It's a snare for a man to devote rashly something as holy and afterward to reconsider vows. You never have to give a vow to God, but if you do, follow through. And a wise king sifts out the wicked. There it is again. It's threshing floor talk. And brings the threshing wheel over them. That's what he does. And that's that picture of that judgment. And the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. Mercy and truth preserve the kings, and by loving kindness, he upholds his uh, throne. Uh, If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me several times go through the word hased. That word is found in chapter 28. That word is such a magnificent word, nobody can translate it into the English because it contains so much. In fact, in Psalm 63, it says, God, your loving kindness, hased, is better than life. Who here loves their life? The Bible says God's said loving kindness is better than life. When he's kind and loving to you, it's greater than life. When he has compassion and mercy towards you, it's better than life. It is the greatest thing, God's love for you and God's love for me. And that's where it is right there, said. And the glory of a young men is their strength, you young whippersnappers. And the splendor of old men like me. Look, some of, some of us old men in here don't have gray hair, but I do. I'm an old man, and the splendor of old men is their gray hair. It just means we're getting wisdom. So if you have gray hair, boy, are you wise. No, but it's if you're older. But anyway, blows that hurt cleanse away evil, as do stripes the inner depths of the heart. What a strange proverb, but you, I want you to know something. Suffering is not a bad word to the Christian. Just read the book of Job. Suffering is what God does to make you more Christ-like. Pain can be a benefit. Who here wants to have pain? Nobody. But pain can be a benefit. And suffering is not an enemy to the Christian. You, when you're receiving chastening, me, when I'm receiving chastening from the Lord, We benefit and should lean into it, not run away from it. We can use our pain for an eternal purpose. What a proverb. Well, let's do this. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this group, and I thank you for their hearts to learn and to grow and to be wise. And I pray, Lord, that you would knit these things and help us to be wise people. Lord, we want to navigate life. Uh, in a glorious way, in a way that glorifies you, in a beautiful way, uh, according to your uh, standards and according to your life. And we desire, Lord, that many would come to know you through our lives, if you so choose. Help, Lord, help uh, just uh, uh, direct us and guide us to people who we could share with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.